0: Just when you think you have it all down, all figured out, you're ready for the next big thing, something happens and shifts not only the horizon, but the very ground you stand on. It's the part of life that no one likes to talk about, loss. Robin Lane's world shifted with the loss of her husband, Mark. Suddenly, goals, benchmarks, achievements, and dreams morphed into the new reality of just me and not we. Robin has constructed a new paradigm of living that includes a path to happiness, Come along for the ride. Learn how to live next to grief without allowing it to rain over you. Get ready for Changing Lanes. Here's Robin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Changing Lanes. I'm Robin Lane, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. So I have a question. We all termed our pandemic lives as the new normal, but when does the new normal simply become normal? We are almost eight months into what we have come to accept as our new normal. Masks, sanitizers, social distancing, hybrid learning, remote learning, learning pods, driveway socialization, outdoor heat lamps, you get it. We are looking into the eyes of October, my friends, and while vaccines seem to be on the horizon, the one-year COVID anniversary will get here, and we will only be at the start of living life again as we knew it. Or will we? Now, I don't want to be Debbie Downer because I actually do believe the worst might be behind us. But what I am thinking about are the choices we need to be prepared to make when that does happen. Whether we always see it or not, there are always choices. If there are no choices about what challenges have been laid before us, there are certainly choices about what we do about them. Even when we're frozen and don't know what to do, eventually we act, and our actions are always based on a choice we make. So let's look at this together. Did you ever notice that there are basically two kinds of people in this world? I've wondered why it is that some people suffer greatly in life, but when you see them, they're always wearing a smile on their face and seem to be the ones others go to for advice and comfort. They seem to get stronger and wiser as they go along. And then there, there are those who suffer greatly, but even with time, they can't look up from their despair they seem to become frailer and more hopeless. I know very well what that time is needed to live with despair. I lived with it for a long time after Mark died, and there are days when it certainly comes rushing back to me. But what is it about human beings that help us go from living in despair to living next to it, or to rising out of it, so it becomes a neutral territory where we can live in spite of it? Now, I assure you, it isn't about the amount or even the kind of suffering or loss one has endured. Sometimes it seems that the ones who have suffered the most are the same ones who show the most fortitude. So what makes these individuals choose life every day, even when the physical or emotional struggle overwhelms them? Some experts call this resilience. Some believe it is within a person's nature, the disposition they're wrapped in from the day they are born. I guess this explains why you meet some people and they're always happy, and you meet other people and they're always miserable. We can always analyze, as well, how a person's support system impacts our ability to overcome grief and suffering. Well, I agree with all of this, but somehow in this super factors is a degree of will, don't you think? I thought about this a lot in the weeks and months following Mark's death. Why was I stuck? Was I the only one out there where life had pushed a pause button that never released itself? I know I wasn't because I had attended enough support group sessions to see people who were stuck like me. But I was stuck a year in when I attended these sessions, and some of these people were going on 10 years. And the thought of that, frankly, it really scared me. I had to ask myself some tough questions. Even through my pain, I knew I didn't want to be in this much pain 10 years down the road. It didn't occur to me, though, that I had any choices. But I did start to notice and think about the many people who carry their suffering in a pouch by their side, but have somehow managed to live purposeful lives. I remembered a woman I knew so many years ago who lost both of her daughters in a car accident and how she managed to survive. Did it change her? Absolutely. Was she forced into a different life? Absolutely. Did I hear that so many years later she found a way to live meaningfully again? Yes, I did. And she was a hero to me. For me, I first rationalized that my grief was greater, bigger, more than most people's. No one had a husband like mine. No one's children had lost a father as wonderful as mine had. No one's business had been built on the genius, such as Marx was. I can't tell you that I don't still feel this way on one of those down and depressing days, but these feelings just lead to anger and, yes, to despair. So I thought about this hero of mine, and then I thought about 9 and the survivors of the Holocaust and of all the people who have ever lost a child. No, grief is not a contest, my friends. No one's loss is greater or smaller than another's. But grief does bring us some lessons that we can ignore or choose to learn from. And here we are in a pandemic where many have lost loved ones, homes, businesses, and such. People are struggling every day and in many different ways. But what are the lessons to be learned when the pandemic is gone and we are left to redefine what normal is? What are the choices we will need to make? Is there a chance we will choose to keep some of the changes we were forced to make, but this time by our own free will? So I did a little digging to see what is being said about this, both from choices our country might need to make collectively and about our personal choices. There's obviously quite a flurry of predictions about the choices our country will have to make. I came across an article written on the World Economic Forum website, which addressed my question. Quoted there was a phrase written by Victor Flunkel, who was an Austrian neurologist, an Auschwitz survivor, and author of Men Searching for Meaning. His work is considered by many to be one of the most influential books written. Flunkel says, quote, Between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom, unquote. The article continues to ask, quote, "So during COVID-19 moments when the stimulus is like a tsunami, how can our response drive us forward? Our transition can be unremarkable by reengaging in old habits or transformational by allowing a reinvention of sorts." Unquote. So in line with my earlier comments, the World Economic Forum reminds us that crisis does not build character, but reveals our true character character of people, character of organizations, and character of society. I quote them again. They encourage us to create diamonds and not dust of our experiences. In his July 10th opinion piece for the New York Times, David Lanhart writes, quote, crisis can force or accelerate behavioral changes. Some old behaviors will revert when the pandemic ends, but not all of it will. Some people will realize that they were sticking to old habits out of inertia and will choose new habits, unquote. He predicts that in-person meetings and conferences will continue to happen, but the threshold for what it requires to travel, the time, the cost, and fatigue will rise, and there will be less business travel because people have seen that maybe it can work this way. It's hard to imagine that working remotely will not have some sort of lasting impact on the way Americans will continue to work. And the ripple effect of that, of course, will be the choices major businesses will have to make about real estate and work environments. We can all anticipate what will happen for our small businesses, but also for our large ones. Will department stores, movie theaters be here post-pandemic? Are we as consumers going to choose to keep a different model? But would this have happened anyway? David Leinhart quoted Warren Buffett in saying, it is only when the tide goes out that you learn who has been swimming naked. Flawed businesses look good in healthy times, but that doesn't mean they really are. Realistically, Americans have been changing how the world of retail looked before COVID, so we can only wait to see if we've accelerated this new business model or not. Look at the businesses who have thrived. Delivery services, grocery stores, mask makers, they all represent a shift to personalized service. In some ways, this even seems like a shift back in time when milk bottles were delivered to your door by a milkman and diaper services actually recycled. Hmm. I know most of you are probably way too young to remember that, but I know we all have renewed respect for our frontline workers of course, our healthcare care workers top the list, but I will tell you, the mailman, the Amazon truck and Grubhub, Seamless, etc., were welcome sites at my door. Personalized services, my friends. And what about the way our children learn? This has had perhaps one of the most challenging and far-reaching implications of living with the pandemic. What will remain of the schoolhouse model? What will our higher education institutions look like? It remains to be seen. But then there are our own personal post-pandemic choices. No, I will not choose to color my own hair anymore if I can help it. I will not choose to never hug a friend again or sit six feet apart from them. I will not choose to gown up in order to visit my mother. There are many things I will never choose to do again. But I might choose to wear a mask if I have a cold. I will choose to wash my hands more often I will choose to use hand sanitizer in public places, and I certainly will choose to hug and kiss my kids and grandkids like crazy. I will also choose to keep some of the habits i formed in quarantine. I will choose to preserve some time for quiet, time to read, listen to music, sit outside and watch the birds and squirrels. I will choose to keep my circle small. So I can pay my closest attention to the friends and family I love most. To be able to look in their eyes when they're speaking and to really hear every word they say. I choose to do more with less. When I think of all the things I thought I would miss, it turns out I haven't really missed many of them at all. I choose to bring back the things I truly did miss. And most of them, my friends, were people. I'd love to hear what your post-pandemic choices might be. Please write me at dimesonthesidewalk at gmail.com, www.robinslane.com, or robinslane-author on Facebook. Until next time, enjoy whatever choices you are making. Have a great week.